Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Well, grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible open, go ahead and open one up uh, to page 1023 uh, to this text in 1 John. We're going to be walking through uh, these verses uh, that we looked at today. Uh, and as we do, we'll just consider a little bit that the gospel or the, the epistle 1 John is often known as the epistle of love. And for obvious reasons, the word love is... Uh, all over the place uh, in this epistle. And um, it, it brings it up all the time. There's other epistles, uh, the epistle of joy is Philippians, uh, but this is the epistle of love. And so we often return to this theme uh, trying to understand it. But one way that we understand it is we see that John repeats these themes again and again throughout his message. And that is the love of God the love of God's family and keeping God's commandments cannot be separated. The love of God, the love of God's family and keeping God's commandments cannot be separated uh, from one another. And in fact, uh, the false teachers uh, in the church in Ephesus were trying to tear these things apart. Uh, and so this is really what sin looks like when it manifests in your life and in my life. It looks like us trying to tear these ideas apart. It's like saying, I can love God uh, all while breaking his commandments. And we get pretty comfortable with that idea. We think, yeah, love is a feeling. It's what we kind of have in our hearts. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a mindset has nothing to do with obedience. And so we tear it apart. We say, I don't need to keep God's commandments or worry about that. I'm just going to love God in my heart, but not have any of those indicators of that love. Or I love God, but I don't care for his children. I don't care for his family. Um, by the way, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. But it's like if we were to say something like uh, in a card, Dear Mom, Happy Mother's Day. I love you, but I hate your kids. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and of course, this would shatter a mother's heart. Mothers don't want to hear that. Instead, they want their family to gather around them. They want their family to love them and also to love each other. And so it is with our Heavenly Father who says, if you love me, if you love the Heavenly Father, you will love the children of the Heavenly Father too. And so if you're paying attention uh, to these, these texts, if you're looking carefully uh, at your life through this lens, uh, you'll begin to get this eerie feeling that when John describes love, he's so often not describing your love. Uh, instead, if we are honest and we compare our love to the love 
uh, that is being described here, we, we fall short. And so God's command to you to love your brother and sister in Christ, to love him and to keep his commandments, this command to you ends up being a condemnation of you. And so I've noticed uh, in my uh, reading of this text, there's a couple of passages I just want to skip over and gloss over um, because I don't really want to dwell on that and think about it too much. And so we're going to look at a few of those. Uh, this is one from four, chapter 4, verse 20. You want to read this with me? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he goes on. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And so, John is fighting against this disembodied faith, this disembodied love, this love that would say, I totally love God, but I'm not really interested in loving that person right in front of me that God has presented. And he's pointing out the, the logic of this. He's saying, if you don't love the person that God has given to you right in front of you, the one that you can see, how can you possibly claim to love the one who has sent that person to you? It's like, you know, if you're uh, a sports fan, it's like hearing a sports uh, player say, you know what, I'm not going to practice I'm not going to get ready for the game. When, when the big game comes, I'll just be ready. I'm just going to save all my energy for that big game. And the truth is evident in that game. Like, no, you didn't practice. You weren't ready. It was a farce, right? And so it is with our love. If we say, I'll love God when I see him. I'll know him when I see him. And when I see him, I'll kick right into that loving way of life. But I'm not going to practice love with my brothers and sisters before I get there, uh, John says that person who thinks that way is is a liar and is deceiving themselves. Uh, Recently, I listened to a man named Jordan Peterson uh, talking, and he's kind of a social intellect on on the internet. He's kind of controversial. Some people think he's maybe the most loved and the most hated uh, social intellect on the internet right now. But he's someone who espouses the values of Christianity. He really understands that humans cannot function morally without some kind of a story to rely on, someone to imitate, or a reason to do this. Uh, And so people have speculated whether or not he was a Christian. Uh, But when asked directly several years ago, he denied uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And so he's not a Christian, but he he talks like a Christian, and we might call him uh, an enlightened pagan. He's a pagan who's paying attention closely. But recently he had a few brushes with death. Both his wife almost died, and also he almost died from a prescription that was a a drug that was poisoning him. And uh, he has kind of come around again to talking about God and talking about Jesus, And he was recently talking with an Orthodox priest uh, who asked him about this. And he said, uh, you know, I'm frightened to believe in Christ. I'm frightened to believe in Christ. He said, because I understand that if I follow Jesus, 
And if I live the way he lives, and if I believe that he truly is the Christ who raises the dead, there's no end to what that God could ask of me. He says, I'm, I'm terrified to live a life that looks like the life that Jesus lives. Because there's no end to what that could cost me. And you know, I, when hearing this, I thought to myself, sometimes enlightened pagans understand Christianity better than seasoned Christians do. Who grew up in the church all their days. Uh, sometimes those who are on the outside of Christianity count the cost more honestly. Because when John tells us to love in the same way that Christ has loved us, do you understand what that command means for your life? Do you understand that God might call you truly to lay down your life for your neighbor, for your brother, for your sister? Do you see that impossibly high cost? And this is nothing less than what the epistle of John is calling us to do. As Christ has loved us, so too we should lay down our lives for the brothers. If we counted that cost, we would be frightened too. In, um, uh, recently I heard that the word um, priority Priority is kind of a new word in the English language. It hasn't been around that long. It kind of cropped up in the 1900s. And for the longest time, it just meant the one thing you were focused on, right? And then in the uh, late 1900s, they tried to make it priorities. So for the first time, it became a plural word, priorities, as if making it a plural could divide our attention and our focus effectively. But of course, we all know you can't have more than one priority in your life. And so I think the driving uh, command and question that's being pressed into our lives, if you're honestly reading First John, is what would your life look like if your one priority was the same as God's one priority? What would your life look like if your one priority was the same as Jesus' one priority, to love his brothers and sisters in the church? Would it change? Of course it would. Of course it would shift everything. Of course it would be uncomfortable. Of course it would mean not caring so much about what your lawn looked like. Of course, it would mean caring about people outside of your age group. Maybe they're much older than you and you don't have much to talk about, you think, or they're much younger than you, but you would find a way to break through that if your one priority was the same as Jesus' one priority. But when we hold our lives up to that standard, we recognize our deficit, or we recognize how lacking our love is. I remember when I um, began to understand how shallow my love was as a Christian. I was blessed to go on a trip um, to Guatemala during my seminary years. And we were going for kind of a short-term mission trip idea. We are going to do, do VBS in, in the areas around Guatemala City. 
And so we went down there, you know, thinking we're going we're gonna to bring the gospel, and uh, we had some good intentions. And I was talking with the, the head missionary who was there, and he, uh, he, working for this group called Groundwork Guatemala, but talking with him, I said, How, you know, why did you come down here? Why did you leave? He was an American. Why did you leave America and come down to Guatemala? And he said, he came on a mission trip, uh, just like the one I was on, but as he came... He just, and, and he went home, he could just not stop thinking about all of those Christians in Guatemala and the, the suffering that they were going through. And so he, he sold his business, he was an insurance agent, sold his business, and he and his wife moved down to Guatemala and began to serve these people. And I was thinking that over as we were going through this and just realizing uh, how little suffering I really could tolerate as a Christian in the heat and in the discomfort and in the dirt and with the lack of warm showers. You have no idea. Life with no warm showers for a while. Uh, and realizing how weak I was. And then uh, a mountain, a volcano, erupted. So Mount Pacaya, which means Mount Fire, erupted. It just actually erupted in March once again, but outside of Guatemala City. And uh, volcanic ash rained on the city. And at the same time, uh, a tropical storm came through uh, called Agatha and put um, a lot of mudslides into the mountains. And all of the missionaries, all of the, the Christian pastors who were coming to do work, what was our main concern? Our main concern was how are we going to get home on time? Because the flights had all been canceled. They needed new planes. What's going to happen to our schedules? How are we going to get back to our comfortable homes? Uh, some of us were thinking about how can we maybe get into a bus and drive to Honduras to take flights. And uh, that leader of the missionary group, he said, I don't know what you guys are going to do today, but I'm going out to be with the people. And so he went. Of course, we were all kind of ashamed. <laughs> But he went out to these people who had suffered so greatly. And I remember going up into these hills and seeing these terrible mudslides that had come and filled every home in villages with mud up to your knees. And seeing a bike, a kid's bike that had just been crumpled like a tin can by this devastation. And feeling their, their woundedness, feeling their weakness, and recognizing just how minimal my love was uh, for God's people throughout the world and how infected I had become with a comfortable Christianity, with a nice, easy, comfortable, everything's optimized for me Christianity. And I didn't even see the world. I didn't even see God's people suffering. I didn't even care. It was apathy in me. Until I saw that. And I think we in the Midwest, we in North America, we're probably guilty of this kind of shallow love that ends up showing us our weakness and ends up condemning us. And so here's some more things that First John says. Uh, John says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father necessarily loves whoever has been born of him. If you're a Christian, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is just a description of how it should be. 
He goes on to say, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. And his commandment is that we would love one another. And so when we see these things together, when we recognize how poorly we do at this, we might begin to think, am I even a child of God? Do I even have the love of God in me? Because what comes out of me so often is selfishness and self-centered love. Furthermore, uh, Jesus seems to judge the world based on the standard of how people treat his church. This is from his great parable of the last judgment, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Look at the criteria he uses to judge to the, to the goats, uh, to the sheep. He says, the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And similarly to the goats who are condemned, he says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. And so Jesus' judgment comes down on those people who have rejected his church, rejected the messengers of the gospel, and refused to even give, give a cup of water to visit those in prison or to go and feed the naked or feed the, the hungry and clothe the naked. He says that's the criteria uh, for judgment. And so if we are honest about these things, how could we not be with the goats? If you're honest about these judgments, you'll say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And so if that's where you, this conversation has led you this morning, you're in the right place. God be merciful to me, a sinner who cares only for myself who doesn't see the needs of others, who doesn't care about my brothers and sisters in Christ, who won't go one extra effort for their sake. God be merciful to me and my shallow love. And thanks be to God, um, Jesus, his love is the, is the love that counts. I want you to look with me. Um, at this verse in 1 John chapter 4. Can you read this with me? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I want you to notice it doesn't say that your victory comes in your love. Do you see that? 1 John is all about love, but here he says the victory for us comes by our faith. It is not our love that secures our victory. Thanks be to God or you and I would be condemned by our love. But it is the love of God shown in Jesus Christ that overcomes the world. Here the world can really be understood to be the sum collective total of all the selfishness of humanity. How do we overcome that? How do we overcome being trapped in that? It's through the love of God. This is love. Not that you love God, but that God loved you and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for your sins. What great love has God lavished on you that you should be called the children of God? 
It's God love, God's love that rescues us from condemnation. It's our faith in the love of Jesus that brings us victory. So thanks be to God, God has sent his son Jesus Christ into our flesh to love us perfectly in a way that we cannot, to love us and bring us out of the hell that we deserve, out of the condemnation that we deserve. It is God's love offered in the person of Jesus that says, go in peace, your sins are forgiven. But it's that same voice from God that tells us, now go and love your brothers and sisters. And so what are we to do with our love? Our love cannot save us, but it does show us and show others that we are saved. Uh, Luther said that faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by love. But the truth is that love, while we're here in this world, will always be a weak and incomplete and unsatisfying love. And so maybe we would be tempted to despair of, God's, of this love in us and to reject it just to, just to cruise. But that's not the answer either. We're called to love even if it's imperfectly until Christ returns and we are made to be like him. And so we're called not to separate these ideas, not to separate the love of God, the love of God's family and his commandments. We're called to continually try, to continually work out this love as broken as we are. An imperfect glimpse of God's perfection. One of the best um, pictures I can think of uh, for this comes from uh, a pastor in, in the St. Louis area in St. Charles. Um, named Scott Schmeeding. And Scott Schmeeding was a, a pastor that we, I had the privilege to know for a time. Scott was diagnosed with stage three tongue cancer in his early 40s. And so through a lot of treatments and a, and a pretty aggressive surgery, he actually had his entire tongue removed. And many people said he would never be able to speak again. But through God's grace, and through a lot of uh, physical therapy, a lot of treatments, he was able to once again speak, although imperfectly. He couldn't pronounce a lot of things normally, and so he spoke with kind of an interesting uh, set of sounds. But one of the most humbling things, experiences I had is when I uh, was singing next to Scott, and we were singing some hymn. I don't even remember what it was, but I just remember that his voice was about three times as loud as mine. That even though he had lost his tongue and he couldn't speak fluently, he couldn't speak articulate clearly, he struggled in that. His voice was beautiful and he was using it to the utmost of his ability. And I think this is a picture of Christian love as we wait for Christ's return. You're never going to get it right. It's never going to be perfect. It's always going to be found wanting. It'll never be enough to save you. But as God fills you with his love in Christ, more and more you can articulate that love to the world, even if it's not perfect. Uh, showing forth God's love through your broken vessel that you have until God makes you completely new. So this is the kind of love we're called to. It's a struggling, a striving, a broken love, a staggering love. So often it's not glamorous, it's not beautiful, but it is what you are called to. 
And it is uh, how we reflect God's love and his perfect mercy in our lives. And so we in this church, we're taking on a mission. Uh, We're going to try to help some brothers and sisters in Christ, some Christians in St. Louis. We're going to say, we're going to help these Christians reach out to people who don't know the gospel. We're going to send some money. And is that money, is $50,000 that we're going to send to Bethlehem, is that money going to fix all the problems in North St. Louis? Is that money really going to change people's lives and be this spectacular turn, turning of the tables for that church? Maybe, but probably not. It's probably going to be just like every other expression of love, a, a dim reflection of the love of Jesus who laid down his life for us. But even if it's not spectacular, will it be worth it? Yes. And is it what we are called to? Yes. And so, dear church, as we are living in this world broken, living in the love of God, let us reflect this love. Let us resist the tension trying to tear us apart, the sin that would cause us to not love God, not love God's family, and not to keep his commandments. As often as we need it, let's confess our our weakness in love to our God and be refreshed by his love so that we can go out as weak and as meager as our love is um, to show God's love into this world and into the church. In the name of Jesus, may it be yours.